Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God always provides. Amen. So, uh, you know, I was thinking, you know, for the last, I don't know how long, year to two years, God has really changed the direction of Living Way Church. And I'm so thankful for that, that, you know, we know that we're on a path that God has set for us. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, when I first got this, uh, got John asked me to bring a message, and I first got this message, I thought, man, I don't know whether this is God or not. But because it has a lot to do with salvation, and I kind of figured this is going to be just home folks, and we pretty much know where everybody is. And uh, and then a, a couple of things came up. One of it is we had a salvation at the men's at the men's meeting. Isn't that great? You know. And I was thinking when I was doing this, we got uh, we got vacation Bible school coming up, so maybe we just need to plow the ground a little bit because that's usually whenever we get some salvations and and all of that and. Uh, so then it kind of turned into something else. So I don't know where we're going to end up on this journey this morning, but wherever it is, I just thank you, God, that this is your word. And, Father, I thank you that you said as your word goes out, that we will not return to you void. And so I was, uh, I have got this guy that I tape his Sunday services because he's such a good teacher. And he's a pastor at First Baptist Church of Odessa. Man, this guy's a good teacher. And so uh, a couple of Sundays ago, uh, after we had just got back from vacation and we were so tired on Sunday morning, we didn't come to church. And so I was watching this guy. And he's asking for his congregation to pray for him. I was raised in a Baptist church. Anybody here kind of been to Baptist church? And he said, pray for him because the Southern Baptist Convention is coming up. And I'm going to speak. And then he pulled out a chart. Don't you like to see charts? I mean, when guys make charts, boy, it just kind of focuses in. And it was a chart of like 30 years for the Baptist church. And so there was a period of time, I think it's kind of during the charismatic movement, where their uh, churches declined and their salvations declined. Well, in the last 10, 15 years, there Charts started going this way, but salvations continue to decline. And so, if you know how the Baptists are, you know, in the past, you know, they kept a running tally up on a board about how many people got saved this year, made a profession of faith, and all of that. And so, it kind of struck something. In me, because you know we kind of depend on the Baptists to do that kind of stuff, you know, get them saved and then we can get them taught, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, and so, and I was thinking about when I got saved at the first and only Baptist church in Wink, Texas. 
And I was nine or ten years old. See, I think we've lost some stuff that we needed to keep. You know, there's something that we lost that we need to lose and some things that we sometimes lose that we need to keep. And some of this stuff comes and gets winnowed away a little bit at a time. Sometimes our relationship with the Lord kind of gets winnowed away a little bit at the time when the thief comes and not so obvious what's happening to you. And so I was thinking about this, about salvations. And so in the Baptist church, they had some terms for this that we don't use anymore. And they're very powerful terms for salvation. And it was, because I remember whenever I got saved, I went up and the most favorite teacher in school there talked to me, a man that taught fifth grade, Mr. Bowen. And he said, do you know what it means to give your life to Jesus? I said, I haven't heard that in forever. To give your life to Jesus. Sometimes it's give your heart to Jesus. And I think those are two separate things. You know. But give your life to Jesus. So I kind of look around at some some. Uh, some people who say they're Christian and they're having all of these, all of these stuff going on. They're usually younger people. And I wonder if they know that they need to give their life to Jesus. Because it seems like they're participating in all these things of the world. But what happens when you give your life to Jesus? It's not mine anymore. It doesn't belong to me anymore. If I give you a present then it's not mine anymore. I gave it to you. If I give you a gift, I gave it to you. So I think that we're at a place in this country, in America, where uh, where they're trying, to, the world is trying to change things like they try to rewrite history, They'll take some little thing that one of our founding fathers said and said, well, he wasn't really a Christian. He, he probably was. Or we've heard people say that some folks are saying we need to rewrite the Bible because it's not relevant to the time that we're in. You know? And so anyway, we're living in a time, I believe, where we're going to experience, experience Revival. So we need revival because the American church has been dead for a while. And so bring life to the church. And so when that happens, there's going to be some broken people coming. Excuse me. And so we need to know how to really lead them to the Lord. If they can give their old broken life to Jesus, the things that have been causing them so much misery, and he will take that and he will give you so much, something so much better. And I know I've shared with this with you all before, but there was a time in my life when I walked away from the Lord. And I think about when, G, when I came back to Jesus, sometimes I think, where is that guy? You know, I was so in love with God. 
And sometimes, you know, we get into churching and all that kind of stuff, and, and you lose some of that. So my prayer is, Lord, please light that fire again. God, I want to be excited by, about what you're doing. The Bible says in Matthew 7, 7, ask, seek, and find. Ask, seek, and find. The three things with God. You know, when I came back to the Lord, I had to seek him. Say, God, I'm tired of this life I have. I don't even know if I want to live it anymore. Ask, seek, and find. Okay. We turn over to Galatians 2.20. I'm going to give a lot of scriptures. I've got some that, one that will come up on the wall. But you may want to write some of these down. Salvation. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That begins your relationship with Jesus. You know, like any relationship, though, Josh and I have been married almost 40 years. And we have to take care of our relationship. You know, you know, we heard people say, you know, when the kids are gone, then, gosh, we have nothing in common. Well, we don't want to do that. We want to have a relationship. The same with Jesus. We're in a love relationship with Jesus. A couple, another example that I was thinking of this morning was when I was in the service, you know, I'm not a letter writer. For, I guess, eight years, mom had one or two one or two boys in the military at the same time. One time I got called into my commander's officer's school. I hadn't written home for a long time. Well, my mom had contacted somebody. I don't know what it was. And, you know, sit down and write your mama a letter. I don't want to hear from your mama. You know, and so, so, so I was on a 13-month tour in a remote location. And whenever I got home, Mom didn't chastise me right then for not writing her the letters, any letters, four or five maybe. And, but she came and she loved on me. Sometimes I think in my prayer life, God said, where are you? Where have you been? But he loves on me first, you know. And so we need to really nurture our relationship with the Lord. Ask, seek, and find. We'll talk a little while about something that uh, a lot of the churches have lost that is a... Uh, is one of the most powerful things that Jesus is the most powerful thing that Jesus has done for us. But we don't talk much about the blood of Jesus. Jesus shed his blood and made it available for every believer to use. And we've got some terms that we use. We talk about uh Applying the blood or impleting the blood. 
So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about, about pleading the blood. When you think about just in the natural pleading the blood, and you think, well, what is that? Well, that's a legal term. It's not begging. Okay? It's not begging. It's a legal term. Jesus is our advocate. The way the law was enforced has changed because we've made, been made righteous because of what Jesus had done, because of the blood that he shed. The blood of Jesus gives us the right over the devil and rights with God that we didn't have before. We claim our rights by claiming the promises of God And our prayer life is powerful when we remember God's covenant with us in the promises of his word. So pleading the blood is like being in a courtroom. Okay, the devil enemy comes to attack you. I plead the blood of Jesus. The enemy comes and tries to put sickness and disease on you. I plead the blood of Jesus in this court that we're in. There's also the applying of the blood. Jesus has shed his blood and made available to every, every believer. Applying the blood is simply taking hold of the authority and power available to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. You know, you look at the Old Testament, and it's sometimes just a shadow of what is to come, foreshadow of the future. time of the first Passover the Israelites were told the Jews were told to apply blood to their doorpost and they would be protected from the spirit of death this is a foreshadow of our Lord our Passover lamb if you in Exodus 12 if you want to go and read that Exodus 12 it talks about what they did, and so they said to take a bunch of hyssop and use it to apply the blood. We apply the blood of Jesus to our life in our circumstances. We can overcome the works of the enemy. That's the works of the enemy. Christ's death was the power to purify our body, mind, and soul. Hallelujah. And so there have been times when, you know, I've heard, uh, I've heard teachers and preachers say, apply the blood to the doorpost in the lintel of your heart to protect your heart. That's, that's a weapon that we have to use. We talk about what the blood does, and I'm going to just read off some scriptures if y'all want to write it down and tell you what's in, in those scriptures. In Matthew twenty six twenty eight, the blood of Jesus provides the remission of our sins. John six fifty three, it gives life to those who consume it. 
John 6, 56 says it causes us to dwell in Christ and he in us. Acts 20, 28, it's the means by which Jesus purchased the church. You know, man gave the world back to the devil, to Satan in the garden. But that, uh, but through the blood of Jesus, the, the church was purchased back from uh, from Him. Romans three twenty five said, "It's the means by which Jesus becomes our atonement through faith, the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus justifies us and saves us from wrath." Romans five nine. The blood of Jesus redeems us. Ephesians one seven. You have a loved one that's uh, far away from God. Ephesians 2.13 says that the blood of Jesus brings those who were far away from, from God near to him. Apply the blood. Plead the blood, apply the blood. If you've got a, a loved one that is far away from God. Colossians 1.14, it grants us the forgiveness of sin. It brings peace and reconciliation to God, Colossians 1.20. It has obtained, uh, let's see where I'm at. It has obtained eternal redemption for us, Hebrews 9.12. It cleanses our conscience from dead works to serve the living God, Hebrews 9.14. It is the means by which we enter the most holy place with boldness, Hebrews 10, 19. How awesome to be able to enter into the presence of the Most High God, the creator of everything. Praise God. It speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Hebrews 12, 24. It sanctifies us. Hebrews 13, 12. It makes us complete for every good work. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. It cleanses us from all sin. First John 1 John 1.7 It bears witness in the earth along with the spirit and the water. 1 John 5.8 It is the means by which Jesus washes us. Revelations 1.5 It is the means by which we overcome the accuser of the brethren. Through the blood of Jesus. Revelations 12.11 Thank God for the precious blood of Jesus. Amen. The sprinkled blood of Jesus, the blood of the new covenant, the blood of the eternal covenant. Amen. So let's take that back. I mean, the devil tried to steal that from the church, so let's take it back. And so, I was uh, 
I was thinking because this is uh, is uh, a lot about salvation and and I was thinking about how you know how many don't raise your hands you don't have to raise your hands there's a lot of prodigals probably in this room this morning uh, I'm one and so. So how do you get to the place of the prodigal? Well, I think you get to the place of when you read the story of the prodigal that you begin to love the world more than you love being with the Father. But you wind up in a pig pen. And you think, you know, I, I was thinking I kind of went through this process. You think, well, even in my Father's house, the servants have plenty even in my father's house hallelujah um, my granddaughter Maddie spent the night with us last night we always like that but she wanted to watch a movie so we had to look kind of hard to find a movie to watch but we found one it's is pretty interesting, especially since what we're going to talk about next. And it was about this girl who had been, who, who was probably in her later 20s. And she was getting desperate to get married. And uh, so she was saying, you know, there's got to be some better guys out here than what I've experienced, you know. Some guys that really care, will really care for me. And so she saw this commercial of, uh, what's the Christian dating? Christian Mingle. Yeah, Christian Mingle. And, uh, and she said, those guys look so happy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but she's not a Christian. And so she tries to fake it. She gets a date with this guy and she tries to fake it. And so there's, there's no life in her walk because she is trying to fake that she's a Christian. And so the guy has a mother that's kind of controlling him, but she's a Christian. She said, something wrong with her. <laughs> His mama, you just you're just trying to control this, right? Well, she ends up on a mission trip to Mexico, and so it becomes obvious that she's not a believer. And so he says, "How can you do that?" And she, they're finished, and they go away. But she got to thinking, "Well, how do I find Jesus?" You know, and she ends up. Going to a uh, a different and real radical church, but they get her saved, and so she begins to walk in that. And she found out one of her best friends was a Christian, but she never knew it. That's well, that's probably big something about her best friend too. But but anyway, she gets saved. And so she goes back and contacts that guy and I'm not saying that we need to get back to God. I just want to tell you, I found Jesus. You know, and my life has changed. You know, 
I'm not faking it anymore. <laughs> you know, I have life and not death. And so, having said that, I'm going to talk about the parable of the ten virgins. And so I dig out an old teaching that somebody did that I'd taken notes on probably 15 or 20 years ago, and I had remembered this teaching because I have always wondered about this. Because, you know, you talk about ten virgins, you think that's ten women who haven't sold themselves to the world. You know? But anyway, this is a commentary a guy had on it. This is in Matthew 25, 1 through 13, by the way. And so it says, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamp but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Hallelujah. Well, so we know what this is about. This is either about the rapture or the second coming of Jesus, one or the other. And it's uh, pretty clear what's happening. The question is, why? You know, so here's a commentary that just kind of... Uh, when when Tom when Tom was here, he said something one Wednesday that just kind of has stayed with me. He said, "In reading the Bible, you need the best to, studying the Bible. You need the best to, that you can go back to what was happening at the time." And that's what this commentary, this first part of this, is about. It says normally the bridegroom with some close friends talking about that time left his home to go to the bride's home where there was various ceremonies followed by a procession through the streets after nightfall to his home. The ten virgins may be the bridesmaids who have been assisting the bride, and uh, they expect to meet the groom as he comes from the bride's house. Everyone in the procession was expected to carry his or own torch. Those without a torch would be assumed to be a party crasher. The festivities, which might last several days, would formally get underway at the groom's house. The torch was either a lamp or a small oil tank, a wick or a stick with a rag soaked in oil, on the end of which would require occasional re-soaking to maintain the, the flame. 
The thrust of the parable is that Jesus will return at an unknown hour and that we must be ready. And you look around at all the hate in the world, the hate for Jesus, the hate for believers, and you think, man, I used to think when I was young, we had to be close. We got to be close. Being ready means preparing for whatever contingency arises in our lives and keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus at all times while we eagerly, eagerly await. His coming as seen in the fact that all the virgins were sleeping when the call came in a case that it doesn't matter what you're doing when he returns. You may be working, eating, sleeping, or pursuing leisure activities, whatever it is. We must be doing it in such a way that we don't have to make things right or get more oil when he comes. So what do you think the oil is? You know, your oil represents the Holy Spirit. We know that. Uh, I think part of it is that part of it is our relationship with God. You know, we have things that come in life that get tough sometimes. And I'm telling you, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to uh, just roll that over on Jesus sometimes. It's tough. But if I would increase my relationship with Jesus, you know, if I could increase my relationship with Jesus, spend more time with him, then that would become easier because my trust in him would become more. My relationship with him would be better. So, you know, honestly, I think in America, the church has kind of become kind of wimpy. I mean, you know, you look at our our brothers and sisters in the Middle East, the things that they face. You look in China and see what they face, but, you know, sometimes we get upset over the least little things that don't amount to nothing. But the devil uses that to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so then, uh, steal some of your oil. Takes away some of your oil. It says being ready for Jesus' return, Jesus' return ultimately involves one major thing which manifests itself in several areas of our lives. If we would be ready for Christ's return, we must be born again. Through saving faith in Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. Step number one. And you know, I know this is this is a hard message. I do. I know this is hard. It's hard for me. But you know, condemnation is from the enemy. He comes and he says, "Well, there's no hope for you." See where you are? I can't believe this. You think God is going to take you back? And conviction says, 
I can help you do better. So listen to the conviction. If, if, if it's messing with you, listen to the conviction and cast away the condemnation. Okay. Uh, saving faith in Jesus will manifest itself in every aspect of our lives. The fruit of the Spirit will begin to be manifest in our life. A desire for greater holiness and less sin will be apparent. You know, sometimes uh, we think we have these just uh, dramatic experiences with God. And man, those are good. Those are wonderful. But when you have one of those, it's going to change something in you. You're not going to be the same person you were before that as, as, as you are when you walk away from it. I'm going to read a scripture out of Titus. If you want to turn there, that's right after Second Timothy. I know Titus isn't the most read book in the Bible. Second chapter of Titus. Verse, uh, verse 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. I am so grateful for the teachings on grace that John, John did. They, uh, uh, they're some of the best that I've ever heard. The grace of God. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that we might, he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for God's work. Amen. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion. Do we always do that? No, I haven't always done that. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our God and Savior Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Eager to do what is good. See, that's all born in relationship. That is all born in relationship. Now, this is this guy's, this is was this guy's thought about who the five virgins were. I've heard a lot of different teaching on who those were that didn't have oil. He says, the five virgins who have the extra oil represent the truly born again who are looking with eagerness to the coming of Christ. They have saving faith and have determined that whatever occurs, be it lengthy time or adverse circumstances, when Jesus comes, they will be looking with eagerness. The five virgins without the oil represent false believers who enjoy the benefits of the Christian community without true love for Christ. They are more concerned about the party than uh, about longing to see the bridegroom. 
Their hope is that their association with the true believers, give us some of your oil in verse 8, will bring them into the kingdom at the end. This, of course, is never the case. One person's faith in Jesus cannot save another. The Lord, Lord, and I don't know you, of verses 11 and 12, fit very well with Jesus' combination of false believers in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not heal the sick? Then I declare to them, I never knew you. I often thought that the uh, the parable of the ten virgins was more about the rapture than about the second coming. And some people believe in a total rapture and some believe in a partial. And I thought that these were probably the marginal believers because they're ten virgins, like I said. And to me that means they didn't sell out to the world. And I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. God hadn't shown me. But but I always figured that some of the believers would be left behind when the rapture comes. Because they'll know what happened. You know, been in church enough to know that what had happened. But I do know this. I don't want to be one who starts looking for a place to purchase some oil. Praise the Lord. I was uh, all through. Whenever I was uh, putting this together, I uh, I'd asked asked Dan to play Blessed Assurance. What a great song that is. That was written by a lady called, her name is Fanny Crosby. And she lived to be up in her 90s. She was blind. But she was a courageous woman. For a while she lived in the South and she and this was pre-Civil War or leading up to the Civil War, and she was very much uh, anti-slavery. Let her people, everybody know it. Took a lot of courage to live in the South at that time and do that. But this lady wrote over 800 hymns in her name. Now she kind of ran into a problem. If she wrote so many hymns that whenever they wrote the hymnals, they didn't want it to be Fanny's hymnals. And so she had like, I think, 30 pen, pen names that she wrote. So, but how can you write, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. All-inclusive salvation. What we are saved from because we're an heir. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. The woman didn't have much of a much of a start in life, being blind. She was a Puritan, come from Puritan heritage. And she attended just about every denomination of church that there was at the time. What a lady. 
Yeah. Perfect submission always at rest. <laughs> rest is peace. How wonderful God's peace is. God says, I have a peace for you that it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. That this peace cannot be robbed from you. This is God's peace. Rest. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Praise God. And so thinking about blessed assurance, and this is the last scripture that I'm going to read. We used to, in the Baptist church, when they gave an altar call, they would say, and if there's anybody who wants to rededicate their life, you know, the old joke was, you know, sometimes old, old Jim, I think he about wore out his rededicator, <laughs> you know. But ask God. If, if you feel like, you know, you've lost some of, of the love that you had maybe, maybe some of the things you faced as went dead away, give that to God. And let God renew that in you because he's beginning to do something. He's waking up the church. He's bringing life to what's been dead. You can see that on the chart that the Baptist preacher had. That, you know, it was going up. Salvations weren't, but it was going up. So I believe God has started doing something. So anyway, I want to read to you Hebrews 10, uh, 19 through 23. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have... Confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. And with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience in having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Man, if we could just get a hold of that last part. It, he who made all of the promises is faithful. He is faithful. So, like I said, think about this, uh, about kind of where you are with Jesus and where you think, uh, if you think you're not where you, where you need to be, just, just ask the Holy Spirit how to get you to where, where you need to be. And uh, I'll stay up here for a little while if somebody wants prayer. Uh, praise God.
blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long This is my story, this is my song Praising my Savior all the day long Perfect submission, perfect delight Visions of rapture now burst on my sight Angels descending, ring from above, echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior. All the day long, praising my Savior all the day long. Ground floor, please. Download and play now, free from the App Store.